KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. The economy is working its way back from the darkest times of the pandemic. It will eventually get back to the level of strength it was prior to COVID-19, but it won't look the same. We wanted to take a look at how aspects of the American economy have changed forever since March of 2020. So we caught up with David Fiorenza, Associate Professor of Practice of Villanova School of Business. This is interesting. Give a listen. So when we kind of take the 30,000-foot view of the U.S. economy, before the pandemic and the pandemic isn't over but what we expect after the pandemic even if it gets back to the same level of strength it's going to look a lot different isn't it it is matt and i'm glad we're doing this today talking about uh, the overall economy what it looked like what it's going going to look like in the future uh before the pandemic companies were focused on efficiencies economies of scale they were focused on looking for ways to innovate and maybe to cut costs. But now that the pandemic hit and it's, we're starting to get over the hump of that, companies are going to look even more towards that. And that could be mean, meaning things like working from home. That will mean things like looking on other technologies besides Zoom. Uh, business travelers are going to look much different. Uh, sales is going to look much different. So I even think some of your fast food restaurants and even retail is going to look much different. It's going to be more self-service, more or kiosks, uh, all those kinds of things are going to be coming into the economy uh, through the next year or so. You mentioned work from home, and that is something, I don't know what the percentage would be, but there is, even once we are fully free and clear of the pandemic, there's going to be a relatively large segment of the population that's going to be working from home, if not full-time, a lot more than they were pre-COVID. And that's just got ripple effects all over the place we'll be feeling with regards to office space, commercial real estate, uh, taxes. I mean, it's it's going to change things. It is. You've hit the nail on the head with this one, because when I travel around, one of the first things I do is I go to all the SEPTA parking lots to see how filled they are. Uh, during the middle of the week, they are, but come Mondays and Fridays are not as filled. Now, some of that could be people taking long weekends uh, for vacations, but it could also mean people are working uh, more at home. And I didn't think they would be more productive, but by golly, they are. They wake up in the morning, get their coffee at seven o'clock. You don't have to get ready. And they're already hitting the pavement, if you will, or hitting the computer, we'll say it that way. And this is going to have a big effect on commercial real estate in large cities in Philadelphia, even in areas like the King of Prussia, Upper Marion area, where there's a lot of office space, Great Valley along that Route 202 corridor, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And it's also going to stifle areas like Camden that was really on the rebound with commercial space. Some companies moved in and now they're saying we don't need as much space as we used to. We're in a situation, as we're talking here, we are having a lot of people quit their jobs. There's like a, a kind of a reimagining what people want out of life after a traumatic event like the pandemic. I don't think it's something a lot of people anticipated, but when you reverse engineer it, it makes a lot of sense. And it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out and what sectors benefit. We could see we're seeing a lot of people, uh, if not go back to school, focus on a trade. We're, we're kind of seeing a lot of things readjust. 
You are, Matt. You, you're right about that. And not just for the older people over 55, but even younger people are thinking about, do I go back to school? Do I learn a trade? Uh, do I go into the gig economy? If somebody's healthy, they're thinking, maybe I don't need as much health care insurance as I thought I did through a, through a Fortune 500 company. And they're saying, well, maybe I'll just work part-time and I'll enjoy life. I'll enjoy the grandchildren. I'll enjoy my spouse, whatever. I'll watch the children grow up. They're thinking a lot more along those lines. And that does affect the overall economy. As you said earlier, taxes is one thing that will be affected. I think it's making uh, the different townships and cities and counties throughout the tri-state area think a little bit more about how much services can we provide at the current tax rate. And something else that we're seeing happening as a result of all these people changing directions in their careers, we're seeing a lot of places that have a worker shortage and... We are seeing a lot of places. We've talked ad nauseum on our weekly chats about the minimum wage. We're kind of we have kind of seen a grassroots lifting of the minimum wage as opposed to legislation because people they can't find people to work. Yes, with no legislation, there's always the possibility that the wages will go down once the workforce kind of resettles. But that would be hard to hard to do. It's hard to claw back a benefit uh, even at a company situation. So we are seeing some wages significantly rise really for the first time in a while. You are. It's all based on supply and demand, as we've spoke about that in our prior uh, podcasts. And the thing about the supply and demand is it's very hard, like you said, to bring those wages back down, especially if you're if you're in a contractual obligation with unions or not even unions, semi-unions, if you will. Uh, if you're paying someone $15 an hour and then all of a sudden we're back to 100 percent normal, whatever that means. Next year, it's hard to say, well, I think I'll only pay 14. <laughs> People say, wait a minute, I'm already making 15. It's hard for me to go back down. The only time you see the wages really depress and contract is during times of recession in when a company says we either have to lay off 10% of our workforce or everybody takes a job cut or everybody takes um, I mean, a pay cut, excuse me, where everyone takes maybe more of a, um, a stance where there's no wage increases. So we're going to be in a difficult situation, not this year, but I think by next summer, that companies are going to think about, we better keep these wages if we want to keep these people. Because people will jump from one job to another when they're at 15 an hour and someone else is paying 16. One of the interesting things, supply chains, I think, are something that very few people thought about in the before times, before the pandemic. But we have seen time and time again how they've been disrupted through this pandemic for one reason or another. Now, a lot of, I forget what the term is. It's something like just in time, but a lot of these supply chains are designed to just get the goods in time. So they're shipped out, make it as efficient as possible. So they don't sit around. You don't have to warehouse some stuff like that. Are we going to have a reimagining overall of supply chains? Or do you think as we get further away from the pandemic, it will, we'll get back to our old thinking and, and it'll be like it was a couple years ago. Well, we will get back to our old thinking, but it won't be this year. And it probably won't even be next year. Uh, the, the store shelves that I go into to observe, I see a lot of empty shelves. And it's not because of panic buying. It's because they cannot get the goods there quick enough for whatever reason. It could be a hurricane. It could be a shortage of workers. It could be a number of things. It could be the fact that last year we were making items for PPE and taking all of our manufacturing offline for all the things that we 
that we wanted to buy. And we're also buying from other countries still. So those other countries still have some shutdowns, some lockdowns. They're not at 100 percent. We're at their mercy, if you will, for those goods to be to be made, to be purchased by us over here in the United States. Do you think we will see with regards to supply chains, uh, given what everybody company wise has experienced the last couple of years, uh, folks try to make it a, a little more compact within the U.S. rather than have a lot of and maybe have more stuff warehouse. Do you think there will be kind of redundancies put in place there to minimize the disruptions or no? Well, companies will do that. The one thing about the United States, we're consumers and it's hard to get us off the mindset and try to become minimalists and just say, what do I need? As Europeans would say, what do I need to buy for tonight for my dinner as I'm walking out of my office? I go to the market. We are shoppers. We shop for the week. We shop for the month. We shop for getting ready for Labor Day, getting ready for school to open up, getting ready. Even Christmas, they'll start talking about that in August or September. So it's very hard to get off that mindset of, of thinking about how much do we need? How much can we survive on? So I do think companies are going to look at the past year. Uh, they are going to really prepare for any other disasters and pandemics. Most companies I talk to or have team of people, they're getting ready for the next, whatever that is. It doesn't mean we're going to have another pandemic or another event like this, but they want to be prepared just the way our counties are prepared when we have hurricanes or any other kind of things down at the shore, let's say uh, Hurricane Floyd, things of that nature, tornadoes. You want to be prepared. It's interesting. I think one thing that has done a maybe not a complete 180, but it's become much more mainstream than it was a year and a half, two years ago. The idea of the government sending people money. We had three separate stimulus packages where people got varying amounts, you know, from 600 to $5,400. As we're talking, we're about a week away from an expanded child tax credit kicking in where families with, with children under 17 are going to get monthly payments just deposited, not something you have to sign up for. That is, in theory, permanent. I come back to the idea that once people get used to a benefit, it's incredibly difficult to claw it back. So I would be surprised if this doesn't become permanent of some kind. Is kind of government payment, is it here to stay? I mean, we're not maybe not going to get the big stimulus packages, but between this tax credit and, and building off of that, do you think this is something that's here for the, for the duration? I think some of these are here for the duration. I think the, the, the large stimulus package that you and I spoke about earlier this year are probably gone, but I think things are, as much as they add debt, they're more manageable. $300 per child is more manageable than you and I getting $2,400 every six months or every year. Uh, with that being said, there's going to have to be some kind of occurrence when it comes to the tax codes. Uh, hopefully it's not you and I who are paying more. Uh, uh, there has to be something. Something has to give at some point with that. I do know that consumers that I talk to, numbers I look at, they're more cautious than they were before the pandemic. I mean, they're starting to pay down more debt, maybe trying to put extra pay on their mortgages, car payments, um, maybe even saving for, for college, anything else that they can, because Sometimes disasters like this, a pandemic, makes us think about uh, our livelihood and what's important to us. And so when you do receive money, you do either a couple of things. You either pay down debt, you either spend it or you save it. And do you think the idea of 
the government sending people money, which for a lot of the population a year and a half ago would have been anathema, has become much more mainstream where maybe people don't like it, don't approve it, worry about the debt, but you don't get the screeching you would have gotten two years ago? Right. You, uh, with with the unemployment rate very low two years ago at 3.9%, uh, we, we were at full employment. That's much different than where we are now. I mean, it's not high. It's only about 6% or so, which, which is still fairly low. And it's not to take anything away from anybody who's looking for a job. They're still looking. People are still looking. But it does become more mainstream. It becomes more of it's almost like when, if we fill out our tax returns by April 15th and receive a refund six weeks later, it becomes almost commonplace when you start doing that and sending money to people. I'm not sure if the Treasury Department, or I should say the, and even the Federal Reserve, is all in favor of these kinds of things because there has been some rumblings of a fourth stimulus, but that that's probably just to, was there just to push the child tax credit through. So they use one to leverage something else. In government. And it's interesting through all this, the early days of the pandemic, the stock market, we saw some crazy dives and recoveries. I remember a couple days where things fell so fast they actually had to stop trading. Uh, but for the most part, the stock market just keeps on cooking. What does that tell us about the American economy through even a, a giant disruption like this? Well, most people will say that it's it's all Wall Street, it's all big money, it's all people who are who are well to do and wealthy who will benefit. They do, but if you and I and others have any kind of four hundred one k, any kind of retirement plans, uh, some of that money is not always invested just in money markets or, or or CDs. We are playing the market through mutual fund companies, the large mutual fund companies like Vanguard, Fidelity, and all the other ones that are out there. So we benefit. Uh, there is some trickle down effect. We do benefit. I'm looking at my retirement accounts for the past five years. We have benefited. Some people are looking at it saying, oh, I can retire at age 68 instead of age 70 now. So there's some of that method of thinking or they're saying maybe I don't have to work as much. I can go on Medicare. People are, are looking at that. And that's another thing we bring up. Uh, there's been talk of lowering the age of Medicare to 62 instead of 65, which is raising a lot of eyebrows on both sides. Some are saying it's expensive. Some are saying, oh, good, I'll be able to be covered. So there's a lot of that going on, too, as well. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.